Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 169. Today is January 30th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, there's been even more turbulence in the market uh, this week than in the previous weeks. However, many people are happy because the markets are moving up. In this episode, I'm going to give you a brief rundown on what I think is going on in the markets. Not going to talk a lot there because really it all comes down to government stimulus. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. I'm also going to answer a couple listener questions. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with some comments where I want to talk to you about how you need to ignore not only the talking heads, you hear me say that all the time, you know, this is just my personal opinion, but in a lot of cases, I think you would better serve yourself and live a more enjoyable life by turning off most sources of media in your life, ignore the cable news channels, uh, don't listen to the financial programs, just read some good solid factual things and reflect on them, and educate yourself, and make your own decisions. I talk about that quite a bit, and that's really the way I think most people should live their lives. In today's episode, though, I'll finish up by really trying to have you focus on ignoring what people are saying and watch what's actually happening in the market. I'm going to use recent comments from Apple CEO Tim Cook to make my point. Before we get started, I know a lot of you have already heard some other episodes that I've done on other podcasts, so I just want to give a shout out, and for those of you that are not aware, to let you know that this week I did do two other podcasts. I am very fortunate to have many friends that are in this industry, and occasionally I get invited on the shows, and it's always a real pleasure. So this week I was on the Photime podcast. A lot of you might not be aware of what that is, but I think you've heard me talk a number of times that I'm a ham radio operator. It's really a, a big hobby for me. And so I was on a uh, ham radio-related podcast. It's called The Photime Podcast, episode uh, 44. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I had a really good discussion and interview with Kale Nelson. If you're out there and you're interested in the ham radio hobby or, you know, even just figuring out what the heck that's all about, go over and listen to the Photime podcast. Cal does a really good job of not only covering in-depth subjects about the hobby, but also presenting things in a very simple way that's, that's helpful to either the beginner or someone that's just interested in getting in the hobby. And just a little side note here, some of you may be wondering, well, what the heck does hobby like ham radio have to do with money or wealth or the stock market? Well, you know, the Wellsteading podcast isn't just about money. It's about all of our lives. It's about freedom. It's about doing the things we enjoy. Down the road, I am going to do a podcast or maybe two about hobbies and not only about how they can make your life better, but how they can also help you make more money by advancing your career or helping you start a business, things like that. And so, hey, if you have any interest at all in ham radio, amateur radio, you want to know what it's all about, check out the Photon Podcast. And then the other thing I did this week, I was back with my friend Jack Spierko. I did an episode on the Survival Podcast where Jack and I talked about uh, technological change, how it's occurring at a more rapid pace, and how for some people it's going to be a nightmare, but for other people it's going to be a golden age. So yes, it is going to put a lot of people out of business. I think it's going to have some very severe and long-lasting effects on the economy. But at the same time, for people that are prepared, people that are motivated, for those of you out there that are real go-getters and you want to be an entrepreneur, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be alive. So check that out. 
Again, I'll have a link to that in the uh, show notes. That's the Survival Podcast with Jack Spierko. So, hey, let's talk about these markets. Right after the new year, Investors Business Daily set the market status as a market in correction. And then for the next three weeks or so, the market pretty much was on just a straight downward path. It would try and bounce back here and there, but really there was no sign of life to it. Well, that started to change this week. This past Tuesday, Investors Business Daily changed the status of the market into a confirmed uptrend. They did that because there was a follow-through day on Tuesday. Now, it was a pretty weak one, and this was basically because we saw some good numbers coming out of Facebook, and so that helped lift the technology sector. And then we're also seeing a little bit of recovery in the oil stocks because there's some rumor out there that maybe OPEC or specifically Saudi Arabia is going to cut back on some oil production. So that's helping the oil stocks, and a few of the technology stocks got lifted as well. So there wasn't, in what was my opinion, a follow-through day on Tuesday, but it came in very weak volume. It was pretty shallow, I felt, and so I ignored it. Well, on Wednesday, things started to deteriorate again, and pretty much all the gains that were made on Tuesday were wiped out on Wednesday in heavier volume. Investors Business Daily changed the market status over to uptrend under pressure. And then, whoa, lo and behold, we have this big takeoff day, a huge acceleration day on Friday. Markets are up well over 2, almost 2.5% in some cases, and pretty much a broad rally. Energy stocks, technology stocks, medical stocks, utilities, consumer staples, everything was up on Friday. So Investors Business Daily, of course, moved the market back into an uptrend status. I mean, this was definitely a strong follow-through day. However, I got to tell you, I'm ignoring this one as well. And it isn't that we uh, didn't see strength because we definitely saw strength in the markets, both in terms of large price increases in broad depth across all sectors of the economy, and then also the accompanying volume to back that up. And yet, why am I ignoring it? Well, here's my opinion on all this. While it's true that we did see this big rally, and and remember, the only reason oil was moving up now, it's not because anything's changed fundamentally. It's just because there's some rumors out there that OPEC's going to be able to tighten down on production. Here's why I'm not buying that. Unless we see some real hostilities against Iran, there's no doubt that once Iran gets to be able to export their oil again, which is going to be happening here in the coming weeks, they are going to be doing all they can to get at least 500,000 barrels a day on the market. And then, you know, there's another million, maybe as much as 2 million barrels that they have the capacity to produce. That's not going to come online right away. Their oil fields and um, their whole production sector is in turmoil. They need a lot of investment to make that happen. But they are ready and anxious and chomping at the bit to produce as much oil as they can, and they have the financial incentive to do it no matter what the price is. So I think overall that's going to keep a damper on oil prices. Just as you've heard me say, anything above $50 a barrel is going to uh, uh, increase production in shale oil, where the pipe is already in the ground, the investment's already made, all those wildcatters need to do is turn on the valve. So that's going to cap things, I believe, you know, somewhere in that $50 range. The Iranian oil is most likely going to keep it in the 40s, maybe 45, I don't know, maybe lower. Obviously, right now, the market is comfortable with the price of oil being below $34 a barrel. That's with over 2,000 shale oil wells shutting down in the United States over the last 18 months and without the Iranian oil coming onto the marketplace yet. 
You know, the Russians are pretty much pumping and producing oil at all-time highs. They've, um, for many years, they were underproducing what they had when they were part of the Soviet Union, but now they're back up to those levels. The Saudi Arabians are, you know, again, they're pumping all they have. So I think oil is going to continue to stay low. I'm not going to be surprised at all if it goes lower. That's going to affect the stocks on primarily in the Dow Jones Industrial Average and on the New York Stock Exchange, the big ones uh, like ExxonMobil, Chevron, Halliburton, Schlumberger, these kind of guys. Uh, whenever oil goes down, they come down. And so this week, since oil's been moving up, those stocks have helped pull up particularly the Dow Jones Industrial Average, at least Chevron and ExxonMobil. So when you combine that along with the general stock market moving up, we get a nice big rally. But again, long term, I think oil's staying low and going lower. And then as far as what prompted this big move in the overall stock market, well, it isn't like the economy's getting any better. Listen to what they're saying on these earnings calls. There have been a couple, a few outliers that have been good news, things like Facebook. And then this upcoming week, Google's going to announce they'll probably be doing well. But a lot of companies are doing very poorly. And these are companies not only in the United States, but globally, we're seeing a slowdown. GDP growth for the month of December was only 0.7%. That's abysmal. And this is when we were told that at the end of last year, the second half and the final quarter of last year, we were supposed to see the economy grow in excess of 3%. Well, they're backing that off right now. And, and even going forward with 2016 projections, they're, you know, back to the reality of maybe we're only going to grow in the U.S. at about 2.3%. Well, now, while 2.3% is better than nothing, it is good and and stable growth. It's not a recession. It's not negative growth, but it's very stagnant, minimalist growth. And the only reason that's important is when you're looking at the stock market and you're looking at the high valuations that we have. You know, the S&P is still very richly priced, over 18 times earnings if you look at trailing earnings. And since we really don't have a good forecast of forward earnings, we have to assume that forward earnings are not going to be much better and could be worse than 18 times because they keep lowering the overall earnings estimates because companies are in trouble. The strong dollar is hurting multinationals and it's hurting exporters. The low cost of petroleum is hurting not only the companies that produce it and explore for oil, but it's also hurting the ancillary supply chain. The companies that make the steel for the pipelines and the service companies that that service the either the oil rigs themselves or the local real estate markets. I mean, look at things as benign as the transportation sector. You would think with oil prices being at these low levels that trucking companies and other forms of transportation whose fuel costs have indisputably, you know, been cut in half. Well, why are they still performing so poorly? Well, it's because a lot of the expansion that was made in trucking and in the railroads was done over these last eight years to specifically service the oil sector. And you'll hear people say, oh, well, the oil sector, maybe it's only 10% of the economy. Yes, but there's been a very profitable 10%. In 2005, in the United States, we were producing less than 5 million barrels a day. Well, today, in 2016, even with over 2,000 oil wells shut down, we are still producing in excess of 9 million barrels a day. 
There's been a lot of adjustments in the economy to build up that infrastructure and to support that huge expansion in oil production. And so that's why these lower oil prices are not only just having an effect on the companies that produce it and explore for it, but it's having an effect on all the ancillary industries that that you may not think are related to oil, but they are. And so that's not helping things. But here's the real reason that I'm skeptical about this bounce on Friday. And again, I'm not downplaying the fact that it was strong. We had nice increases, almost 2.5% on both the Dow and the S&P 500. Strong volume, and that's really good when you see it close on a uh, on the end of a, uh, the week on a Friday when the markets have been performing so lousy not only that week, but for the previous three or four weeks. So that was a good sign, but here's the bottom line. What do I think drove all that? I think it was simply faith that the central banks can pull us out of this global slowdown that we're in, and I'm not sure they can. We've been playing this game for a lot of years, and we continue to see diminishing returns. And you don't have to take my word for that. Just look around you. You heard me say that at best, you know, last year we grew at maybe 2.3%. They're saying the same thing for 2016. We are seven, eight years since the Great Recession. We have a Federal Reserve that has tried to prop up this economy with over $4.5 trillion on their balance sheet. We have the federal government that over these last seven or eight years has not only had large deficits, but deficits in the range of over $300 billion to a trillion dollar a year deficits. And with all that spending, we can still only grow this economy at about 2%, maybe 25 on a good year. If you look back over the last 16 years, our annual GDP growth rate has been less than 2%. And it's just not the U.S. This is occurring throughout the globe. And this gets to the point of why the markets performed so well on Friday. And that's because globally we're seeing central banks offering more stimulus. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve came out with much less aggressive statements. Now, they didn't say they aren't going to raise interest rates in 2016, but just a few days ago, they were still reiterating that they were looking for four rate increases to occur in 2016. Well, they walked that back a little bit, so we're hearing some more dovish language coming out of the Federal Reserve on Wednesday. I'd already mentioned to you that last week, Mario Draghi from the European Central Bank, he said that they would do whatever it took in forms of stimulus or quantitative easing or just whatever they could do to ensure that the European economy was going to grow. And then last week, we also saw the Chinese starting to flood their market with over a a trillion yuan in anticipation of the slowdown that they know will occur when the Chinese New Year uh, kicks in, which is going to which is going to happen the beginning of February, so the Chinese are flooding that market with well over a trillion dollars, much more than they would historically do. And then finally, the final thing that really fired up Wall Street was that on Friday the Bank of Japan started to impose negative interest rates. Well, that really just fired everybody up. Because remember, bad news is good news on Wall Street. If the economies are slowing down, they believe in the Keynesian model where all this government spending is going to help stimulate things, and it generally does for at least a short period of time. But it has diminishing returns, and that's what we're seeing over these previous you know, seven or eight years. The more money the government spends, the less results they get out of it. And so while there was a lot of euphoria on Friday and the markets did move up, you know, the way I'm looking at this market, I still see all the danger signs. 
the price of oil still looks like it's going to stay low enough, which is going to cause destabilizations and defaults and bankruptcies in that energy producing and commodity producing sectors. There doesn't look like there's anywhere in the globe where there's enough growth to help spur anything along. And then in the U.S., which is really right now the about the best performing market in the world, we see the leadership in fewer and fewer companies. Remember last year, the strength was in the FANG stocks. Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Tesla, stocks like that. Well, we've seen a great deal of breakdown in those. We've seen a, a huge breakdown in the biotech stocks. And yes, this past week, Facebook did well. I anticipate Google to probably do well this coming week. But you can't base the whole U.S. economy on the performance of Facebook and Google. And that's the problem. And I think over the coming days and weeks, Wall Street will use this bounce that we're seeing as an opportunity for them to sell and to liquidate some of their positions. Because as we move into February and March, we're going to probably see these economies continue to slow. We'll see earnings estimates continue to be revised downward. And there's not going to be any good news until early April where we're going to hear about new earnings announcements. And so I just don't see anything propelling this market up for the next eight weeks. Also, when I look at the charts, and I'm going to talk to you here about the S&P 500, I see a great deal of resistance and stronger resistance as the market tries to go to the next three key levels. And those three resistance levels are going to be 1950, 2000, and 2050. So watch the S&P 500, watch as it advances up to those levels, see if it can break through 1950. I think that's likely, but I think it's much less likely that it's going to get through 2000. And if it does, I will be very surprised if in the short term it can get above 2050. Now, I want to step back here, and, and you're going to hear me say a little bit later in this podcast about how you don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. And I know you can't see what I'm doing, but when I make these statements, I'm not just giving you my opinion. I'm giving you my position. I am not going into the market right now because I don't think we're going to be able to hold up above 2050. Now, I don't have a crystal ball. You know, I've said before, if I had a Ouija board, I wouldn't know how to use it. So I can't predict what's going on in the future, but I can look at the past and I can use that to help make some assumptions. And so I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you why I'm not venturing back into this market right now. I'm going to continue to wait a little longer. I want to see how the market holds up at those key support levels that I just mentioned. 1950, 2000, 2050, those are all levels in the S&P 500 you want to watch. So ignore what I say. Watch those levels and see how the market reacts. I'm betting and I'm putting my positions that the market will get to those levels and fall apart. We'll have to wait and see what happens and you'll have to make your own decisions. Well, that's enough about markets. I'm going to move on and cover a couple of listener questions. Now, I get a lot of questions from people that are in the government or in the military and they're part of the government retirement system. And especially now with the markets being down, they're concerned about where they should be putting their money, where it's safe, and what's something that would be similar to cash. Well, if I were in a government retirement program, I personally would have my money in what I believe is called the G fund. And what I like about the G fund, and I cover this, I think, in more detail, if you'll go back a few episodes ago, where I talk about the My IRA, because they're available in that as well. The G fund is basically a laddered fund of government treasuries. So they pull together all these government treasuries, 
And right now, it's paying about a 2% return, and that'll fluctuate, so it's not a guaranteed return. The yield on that will fluctuate and will go up and down with interest rates. But what is really good about the G fund is that if interest rates do rise, and if you're in some type of a civilian bond fund like that, even if it's invested in government treasuries, you will lose principal because as interest rate yields rise, the principal value decreases. But that does not happen in the G fund. The uh, retirement fund guarantees that you will not lose any principal. So that's really a win-win. And again, I don't tell you what to do, but if I was a government employee right now, that's where I'd have my money. So take that for what it's worth. And then the other question I've, I've gotten a lot of is people are constantly asking me, where do I get my data from? And I'll tell you, I really don't have one source. I let Google be my teacher. If I want to go out and get oil prices, I'll just Google, you know, historic chart, downloadable oil prices or something like that. And I'll go to whatever either government agency or oftentimes they're academic or some type of an institution trade group that puts this data together. And so as far as where I would go to get gold prices, you know, sometimes I go to the London Stock Exchange. But not always. It depends on how much data I want. I, I like the London Exchange because they have it, the price of gold going back for, I don't know, like 100 years. But if I don't want that much, if I only want gold for the last three years, maybe I'll go somewhere else. So literally, I just go to Google and I search on whatever I'm looking for. I don't necessarily have a particular site, and they're always changing. You'll find that we you know one place where you used to be able to get it for free, now they want to charge for it. And so I really don't have anything to recommend there. And as far as overall financial websites, it's whatever you like. You know, I like some things at Yahoo Finance. I like other things at Google Finance. I like other things at CNN Money. I like other things at CNBC. I go to the Reuters website. I go to Bloomberg. I go to the Wall Street Journal. You hear me talk a lot about Investors Business Daily. I do subscribe to their paper and I go to their website quite a bit. But the beauty of the internet is that it's just out there and it's there for you to glean. Go out and find the best things. Use what you like. Use what's easy to you. The other thing, I, the reason I wanted to answer this question and this is really critical and really important because you hear me say every day that I check at least five things. I check many things, but there's always five key things I look at every morning and I look at every evening. And those five things help me guide and make decisions about what's going on in the rest of the market. And that's the S&P 500, the price of gold, the price of oil, where 10-year treasury yields are at. And finally, uh, what the value of the U.S. dollar is against a basket of other currencies. Now, when I say that I look at the price of oil every day, I don't necessarily always look at the true price of oil because I use a proxy for it because it's easier and because if I were to actually invest in oil, I wouldn't go out and buy oil in the form of the commodity. I would buy it in the form of a derivative product like an exchange-traded fund that trades in oil. This is a key point. Now, it may sound subtle to some of you, but if you're someone that's really uh, you, where you do have a substantial investment portfolio and you're looking at these things and you're trying to use the price of these commodities and the things that I look at as uh, a way of determining relative strength in the general market, then rather than going out and looking up you know, the price of oil every day and putting that in your spreadsheet, it's much easier just to use the proxy funds that track those commodities or other type indexes that you're looking for rather than using the true price. So for example, just to make it easy on you, I, I actually track the S&P 500, but it would be easier for most of you rather than tracking that just to use the exchange-traded fund SPY. 
because although that isn't the exact price of the S&P 500, it is on a relative basis. And when you invest in the S&P 500, most likely you're going to be doing it by buying that ETF and not actually the entire S&P 500. So for example, its closing price on Friday was $193.72. It represents more or less about a tenth of what the S&P 500 is. On Friday, the S&P 500 actually closed at 1,940.24. So the S&P 500 is at 1940, where the SPY was only at 193.72. But as long as you're consistent, it's much easier for you to download and keep track of where the SPY is. And so that's why I would encourage you to look at that and let that be your proxy for the S&P 500. Now, an easy way to track the price of gold in a spreadsheet is to just automatically download the ETF GLD. On Friday, the closing price on GLD was $106.95. And again, that is somewhat uh, in the range of a tenth of the price of real gold, but it's not exact. Gold on Friday closed at $1,118.40. But the availability of data and the ease of being able to automatically have uh, create spreadsheets that download this information is much easier if you use things that are listed like on the New York Stock Exchange or on the NASDAQ as opposed to going out and trying to get the actual price of gold. So just track GLD instead of gold. Instead of tracking the price of West Texas Intermediate uh, crude oil, you can automatically just download the price for the ETF that follows that which is USO. It's not going to be the exact price of oil, but it is going to act as a relative proxy for the price of oil, and you can automate that and make it so much easier than trying to go out and look at these specific market indicators. Now, what I just said might be a little bit confusing if you're not used to using data and if you're not familiar with these different types of exchange-traded funds uh, versus actual commodity prices, but generally if what I just said didn't make sense, then it probably doesn't apply to you and and just ignore it. Those of you that are really digging down on these numbers, though, think about doing what I said. Use the proxies that are traded on the big markets because that data is easy to find and to keep track of. Now, let's segue into our last section here, which is where I want to focus your thoughts today around paying attention to the facts, things like I just talked about, the price of gold, the price of oil, or their proxies that are traded on exchanges like exchange-traded funds. You want to focus on those real market indicators, not made-up economic indicators like GDP or unemployment rates, nor do you want to focus on things that people say. And it doesn't matter who those people are. For example, I'm going to use some illustrations today that Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, what he's been saying about China. I want to bring that to your attention. You really shouldn't be listening to these things that any CEO says because they're all cheerleaders for the company. You shouldn't be listening to what the talking heads say on TV because they are all in one way or another a paid advocate for somebody and they're just going to be a cheerleader for one side or the other, just like the politicians. And it's the same way, you know, through all the financial systems or through used cars, right? The used car salesman is going to try and pitch you on what he has to sell. The insurance salesman is going to try and pitch you on whole life insurance or some annuity. They don't care whether it's good or bad for you. So don't listen to them. And you're saying, well, hey, John, why should we listen to you? Don't listen to me either. You need to go out and find your own facts. You need to take those facts and use critical thinking skills 
use your wisdom, use your knowledge, and then from there try and draw rational and reason, reasonable conclusions. That's why I like looking at market indicators and not economic indicators. Someone can blow smoke all they want, but at the end of the day, I can go out and I can look at the price of oil, or I can look at the price of gold, or I can look at the price of Google stock. These are market indicators. There are millions, if not billions, of interactions every day and every week in these large markets in the United States and throughout the globe that are trading that are affecting these market indicators. It's a matter of price discovery. It's the way the free market works. And yes, to some degree, everything is manipulated, but no one really has enough money to manipulate everything. And so if the price of oil is consistently a particular value or number, well, then that must be what the market really thinks it's worth. And if the price of gold is a number, well, that's probably an accurate number too, as it just would be the price of any large company like Apple or Google or Starbucks or whatever. Now, they do swing like a pendulum. They go to being overpriced to underpriced, and that's the beauty of being a swing trader. You try and follow those trends. When the pendulum is swinging to being undervalued, well, that's a time to short them and then to eventually buy into that stock or that asset class and ride it back up as the pendulum swings the other way. But you want to focus on price and volume. You don't want to focus on what people are saying. Don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. The way you know what they do is by watching these market indicators. Someone can come out like a gold bug that's always telling you to buy gold. They tell you to buy gold when the price is high because it's going to go higher. When the price of gold is low, they tell you to buy more of it because it's on sale. And you hear the same thing with people in the stock market. You know, oh, the price of Google, it went up, you should buy more. When Google gets low, they say, oh, you should buy more Google because it's going to go back up. Well, those people were always going to say that. What you want to focus on is the market indicator. What's the market telling you? If every day you're watching the price of gold and every day the price of gold keeps going down, then that's a depreciating asset. Just like Apple stock or Google stock or Starbucks or uh, real estate in your neighborhood. If, if you're watching that asset class and day after day or month after month or week after week, you know, you're tracking those prices and you put them on a chart. You hear me always talk about charts and graphs. That's a way that you can visually represent these things. And so you can see, hey, these assets are declining over time. Well, I don't want to own declining assets and I'm not smart enough to pick the bottom, so I will wait until I see that turn around. And then when day after day or month after month or week after week, those prices start getting higher every every day, and I know that by looking at the moving averages. You hear me talk about five-day moving averages or, or 10-day moving averages or 100-day moving averages or 200-day moving averages. I'm not using those terms because they're a slick algorithm or because they forecast the future. Those things just help me look at the market and determine whether I'm owning appreciating or depreciating assets. And since I want to build my wealth, I'm in the business of owning appreciating assets. And just to illustrate the point, let's pick on Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. Now, I want to start out by saying I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's infinitely more intelligent than I am. He is a billionaire and has more money than I will ever have. So I'm not degrading him in any way. I'm just saying that just because he's the CEO of like one of the most successful companies of all times, it doesn't mean that he can read the future any better than you can, nor does it mean that you should 
take what he says as the gospel truth. Let's go back and look at a couple statements that Mr. Cook has made over the past few months. He's been very pro-growth in China, and if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you know for the last 18 months to a couple years, I've been very concerned with the slowdown in China. And it isn't that I'm a genius on any of this, it's just that I look at the numbers, and I don't look at these manipulated economic indicators like the GDP rates that the Chinese government puts out. And again, this is no dig on the Chinese government, they're probably not much worse off than the economic indicators we put out in our country. But the the fact is, is that all these governments manipulate the numbers. So what you want to look at is market indicators, things like energy consumption, things like how much electricity is being used or how much gasoline is being used or, you know, imported into the country or exactly what is the exports coming out of the country. You know, not things that can be manipulated, but things that are real market indicators. So let's look at what Tim Cook has been saying about China. If you go back to August of 2015, and this was right after the flash crash, this was when many people were starting to jump on the bandwagon and say, hey, something's not right with growth in China. Again, I'd been saying that for quite a while. But even at that time, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, he had his head in the sand. He was ignoring it. Here's what he said, quote, I get updates on our performance in China every day, including this morning. And I can tell you that we have continued to experience strong growth from our business in China, unquote. And so the point that Tim Cook was trying to make is, is, hey, ignore the fact that the Chinese just evaluated their currency. Ignore the fact that their stock market is down, you know, 50%. Ignore the fact that people are saying that there's a slowdown in China, that Chinese exports have declined by 15%. You know, ignore all that because our iPhones in China are selling like hotcakes, and that's going to continue, and you shouldn't worry about any decline there, and Apple stock is doing just fine. That's basically what Tim Cook was trying to say. He said that in August 2015. And he held that position. And the next quarter, he really doubled down on his statements. If you go back and listen to what he said at the end of October, he was very upbeat about the overall growth in China and then specifically the sale of all the Apple products in China. And listen to what he said, quote, we've been able to grow without the market growing, unquote. So again, specifically there, Tim Cook is saying, hey, okay, maybe there is a slowdown in China, but it's not affecting Apple products. We're able to grow without the market growing. And so he's trying to reassure investors that, hey, everything's fine with Apple. You know, don't look behind the curtain. Everything's wonderful. Well, I bring all this up, again, not just to pick on Tim Cook, because this week when he had to announce Apple's earnings and their performance, he had to backpedal some on his previous comments about China. Now, he's still saying that he's really enthusiastic for the long run, and, and I am too. I'm not telling you that China's, you know, going to uh, fall into a hole in the earth and disappear. China is going to continue to grow. There's a billion and a half people there. It's a great market, but it's not growing at the rate that you've been led to believe. It's not growing at double digits anymore. It may never grow at double digits. It's a maturing economy. And so Tim Cook had to walk back his statements, and just this week, here's what he said, and I quote, we began to see some signs of economic softness in greater China, unquote. So he's finally coming to the conclusion that Apple isn't invincible and a slowdown in China is going to affect his sales and his profits and thus the stock performance of his company. 
Now, again, this is the CEO. You would expect him to have known six months ago that things are not going well in China. So you have to ask yourself, well, is he purposely deceiving or is he just deluding himself or is he surrounded by yes men that provide him with data that they think that he wants to hear and so he's insulated from the reality of it? Well, you know, none of that really matters. What matters is market indicators. And whether Tim Cook was blowing smoke or not, the market has been treating his stock very harshly. Apple's stock over the last six months, over this period of time that Tim Cook's been coming out there telling everybody, oh no, everything's fine in, in China. Our, our phones and our products, our Apple products are selling very well. Everything's holding up. We're not worried about an economic slowdown. Well, Apple's stock is down more than 20% over these past six months. And that's what matters. Had you listened to Tim Cook and you held on to Apple stock through all this, you'd have lost over 20% of value of your Apple stock. So that's why you don't listen to a CEO of a company. You go out and you look at the real data. You look at the fact that exports and everything else in China are declining at double-digit rates. And so you have to assume that, gee, well, maybe cell phones and maybe things like Apple products and iPhones, maybe they're not going to sell as well as they did before either. That's not a, a huge branch to climb out on, right? I mean, that just makes rational sense. If the global economy is slowing down and if the epicenter of that slowdown is in China, then it doesn't matter how good Apple sales were last year in China. The only thing that matters is how good Apple sales are going to be this year in China. And you can assume if everything else is slowing down that the sale of iPhones is going to slow down too. And so therefore, you should take some profits in Apple stock. So don't listen to what people say. Watch what markets do. And again, that includes me. You're always hearing me say on this podcast things like, I'm not offering you advice. I'm not telling you what to do. You have to think on your own. If anything, I'm just trying to teach you how to think. I'm not teaching you what to think. You'll often hear me say, I'm just talking out loud. Now, some people laugh at that statement. And they'll tell me, hey, John, you don't speak very good English. You're being redundant. Of course, you're talking out loud. How else would you talk? Well, you know, I guess you could talk in a whisper or you could talk just in your mental state within your own mind. But the reason I specifically say that I'm talking out loud, that's kind of like a Yogi Berraism. I say that to emphasize the point that it is just talk. Talk is cheap. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to feel self-important like they know what's going to happen. And so they'll want to tell you things that, oh, the economy's going in recession, or oh no, we're, we're at a bottom now and we're turning around. Well, we can all make assessments and we can make forecasts, but it's all talk. No one knows for sure. Ignore what people say, watch what they do, and more importantly, watch what the markets do. That's how you'll know what the smart money's doing. Well, hey, thanks for joining me again today in this episode. 2016 is certainly turning out to be a turbulent year in the stock market. But that doesn't scare me. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think there's going to be some great opportunities to make some money this year. It will truly be a stock picker's market. And I promise if you come back and listen to future episodes, I won't be able to predict the future or tell you what you should buy, but I will be telling you what I'm buying. And then you can take that information and draw your own conclusions. So until the next episode, as always, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best of returns.